Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to the Peers to Peers podcast powered by Shopify. In true New Yorker form, today's guest is fast and bright. Caitlin Barclay is the CEO and co-founder of Scout Lab, a boutique, full-service, creative agency building purpose-driven brands from founders with a vision. Since its launch in 2017, Scout Lab has worked with some of the biggest and most progressive brands out there, including Adidas, Wix.com, WordPress, Venmo, and of course, Alibaba. In today's app, we sit down with Caitlin to discuss her master of none attitude towards entrepreneurship, how to move from doer to leader, and why we need to stop using the term imposter syndrome and start doing. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome, Caitlin. Caitlin, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Amazing. So, you know, you and I connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in brand marketing and digital, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Of course. Amazing. Right. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm Caitlin Barclay. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Scout Lab. We're a creative agency, once based in New York, but who is based anywhere nowadays? Um, but we are, you know, a crew of storytellers that really want to advance humanity forward with the stories that we tell. And, um, we've been around for about four years, came from the tech world, live in the tech world, and now we're doing a lot of fun creative projects across a lot of different sizes of companies and, Really, our moral compass is to be purpose-driven at the end of the day. I love that. Oh, so good. And it's funny because you and I were talking over email before the interview about 
kind of our shared love for, for what we do. We do kind of similar things, although yours is a, a lot more, um, you know, advanced, I would say. No way. Uh, no, are you uh, kidding me? Podcast <laughs> production? No, opt out. I will leave that to the experts. <laughs> no, no, no. So, so good. And I can't wait to dive deeper and talk more about the, you know, your work and the agency and all the good stuff. But before we do... I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Mm, that That is such a good question. You know, you don't know someone until you've, you know, walked a mile in their shoes, but that starts with where they grew up. Um, so I'm from Portland, Oregon, so the West Coast of America. Um, we... Uh, you know, my sister and I, so I'm the oldest child. We grew up, uh, in a suburb with our mom. Uh, my, my parents are divorced. So we kind of split time between like, uh, more quiet part of town and the upper center of Portland. And I think that dichotomy really instilled a love for city life very, very young. My upbringing is a little untraditional because I had kind of flipped gender uh, norms as they were expressed through my parents. And what that means is my mom was the breadwinner. My mom was an entrepreneur. My grandmother before her was an entrepreneur. So that's something I I grew up really always knowing could be a thing that I pursue. And my dad, um, you know, was very entrepreneurial as well, but he definitely, you know, throughout his life, he's now a stay-at-home father. So what was really cool about the experience growing up in the way that I did through these kind of, um, you know, my parents were divorced. So seeing them navigate their own lives uh, as, you know, parents, but separate was, I got a really interesting viewpoint of what entrepreneurship looked like early on. Um, and I think that really informed who I became. Uh, growing up, I was always obsessed with being a part of every school activity I could possibly be a part of. Um, in high school, I was like a really popular kid, but never in the cool way. Right. So like I was never rolled in the cool crowd, but I like got elected to like leadership boards and I was, you know, prom princess and all of these things, but it's because I was, you know, immersed in like youth and government and mock trial. And I was always very uninhibited and being confident in what I thought was interesting, which was like kind of everything. Um, and that was really who I was through my academic career as well. You know, again, I like watched my mom really give us the livelihood that we had through her business and just was a really curious kid growing up, I think I was kind of a master of none too. I just like, I wanted to try AP English and then I wanted to try lacrosse and I wanted to try cross country. And while I always had a leadership role, it was never because I was the best, like ever. Uh, cross country, I was like probably the slowest varsity runner, um, you know, and I think that informed this kind of opinion I have where you can do anything if you just try hard right? The best people at a craft aren't necessarily because they're naturally good at it. It's because they dedicated themselves and were really consistent over a long period of time. And so, yeah, that's, that's really who I was. College like was same type of kid. And then, uh, you know, we went through the recession in 2008. I was then at the University of Denver, transferred back to a state school, you know, locally to where I grew up, which was, I think, a really tr tough transition for me. But 
ultimately taught me a lot about just resilience and like picking yourself up by the bootstraps and like choosing your own adventure in a lot of ways, right? This very like traditional university path was no longer available to me. And I think it was one of the best experiences I ever had growing up as a young person because I was able to reinvent myself probably a lot earlier than a lot of people uh, had the opportunity to. Uh, and, you know, finishing my degree in Portland, I was so set on moving to San Francisco and joining the tech world. And so that's exactly what I did. I remember, you know, I graduated in December, bought a plane ticket for January, had about 30 days to make it work, which in hindsight seems insane. Um, but I was able to like land a job, which was such an incredible opportunity. Um, at this, you know, little tech startup called Copious, had an incredible mentor and an incredible uh, kind of manager that helped coach me into, you know, a really fruitful journey in the tech world and ultimately led me to where I am today. Oh my goodness, Caitlin, it's so, so fascinating. And I'm just like sitting here lapping all of this up. It's so great. And I think something that's really interesting if we kind of backtrack a little bit, is this mentality that your mom kind of, or seeing your mom be the breadwinner and the business owner kind of instilled in you. Talk to us a little bit about when it actually clicked for you that perhaps you could actually start something of your own, you know, maybe you could do what your mom did, you know, cause it's interesting. Cause my, my parents were also business owners, but that never, like it didn't click for, for me for such a long time. And I think it was almost like coming back to what you were saying around the traditional route. It was because that was a bit more instilled in me around go get a good job and, 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 you know, go to a good university and college, et cetera. So talk to us a little bit about when that moment happened for you where you thought, whoa, maybe I actually could do something on my own. Yeah. No, that's so cool to hear about your background too, because I think we come into entrepreneurship, we almost are like surprised when it happens. And then we look back at our lives and we're like, yeah, no, our life was kind of setting us up for where we are right now, whether we knew it or not. Um, yeah. And I, you know, to be honest, I had not a dissimilar experience from you where I don't know if I recognized the conditioning that, you know, watching my mom build her business had on me at that young age. But certainly when I started evaluating what I really wanted in my career, that was a natural uh, thought to have to maybe start my own thing because I had seen it before, you know, like we are what we see. I totally believe representation is so incredibly important, especially among entrepreneurship. So while I maybe didn't recognize it, kind of like perhaps it sounds like you didn't recognize it as well. When you get to that place, you're like, wait, no, I've seen client services before. And I actually know what an invoice is because it's how my mom paid her mortgage, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I think I, I had a really big privilege at really developmentally important moments being supported by or seeing women like step into power. So certainly as I was growing up, that was my mom. That was my grandmother before my mother. Um, uh, in the tech community, which is like very male dominated, I still had a community of mentors. And when I say me mentors, 
there's an asterisk there because it was really peer to peer mentorship. It was my community of people that were probably my age that had similar backgrounds from me. You know, when you're in tech, it's a lot of like Ivy Leagues coming too, but some through untraditional backgrounds as well that were kind of sharing notes along the way. Like, is this normal? Or like, what does this jargon mean? Or helping each other, you know, elevate through the ranks of this a pretty homogenous culture of tech. Um, I also got into, I, I was pretty athletic. I mentioned that I was like good at nothing, but I really love to move my body generally. And I had a really consistent yoga practice. And then uh, through happenstance, fell in love with aerial uh, kind of acrobatics. But what that looked like for me was pole dance. And pole dancing is this kind of incredible community of women. And what was really interesting, kind of becoming more and more immersed in the community in San Francisco, was that it was a lot of my peers in the tech world that had to put on such a masculine front during the day that wanted to be like full divine feminine at night. And what was so cool about that too, is I almost feel like I got to skip some of the insecure crap that we have to deprogram out of ourselves as women, specifically as it relates to like body image and beauty through the act of pole dancing, because you kind of ignore all of that weird conditioning that we get as women when you're like, I can flip my body upside down, half naked. I don't care if I weigh five pounds extra or if my body curves in a way that like society tells me is not beautiful. Like I'm a badass. And in that way, I think it really helped to inform the type of leader that I am today because I got this really cool kind of tech training by day, but confidence training and like performance training at night um, that, you know, again, through maybe untraditional means, or I didn't recognize it at the time really helped me become a leader. I have to do a ton of pitching today as a CEO of a creative agency in front of like executives at Venmo and like, you know, executives at Wix. Like these are multi-billion dollar companies. And I'm tapping into, you know, what I learned performing on stage pole dancing. Like it's <laughs> anyways, all it is to say is that like when you break the mold, you have to source reference points in a lot of different ways. And I think for a lot of that, for me was through, uh, you know, extraordinary female leadership or female centric communities that kind of helped me amplify and expand into who I am today. So interesting. How can we get better at breaking the mold? Yeah, that's such a good question. Oh, I'd have to think about that. It looks so different for everyone. And I think, I can only speak to my own experience because it's different wherever you are. What's so funny, like, you know, I'll speak to my experience in tech and, and pole dancing, like pole dancing is associated with sex work and, um, and has a lot of stigma around it, which, you know, is perhaps a conversation for another podcast is kind of ridiculous and like based in the patriarchy as well. But, um, I had to confront like these two identities. One was like hyper masculine, one was hyper feminine. And for me, I think I was just exhausted and met my co-founder, moved to a place like New York where literally none of polarity doesn't really, I mean, it exists here in extreme. So yours isn't that big of a deal. And I started a creative agency, which like, by the way, I'm allowed to be kind of weird in my position. So how did I break the mold? I just like 
stopped the facade a little bit and embraced that I'm multidisciplinary and multifaceted. And that's actually what makes me really extraordinary at my job. I don't think everyone has that privilege. I think for me too, and I will say this is perhaps something that everyone can think about is, you know, my advice to people that are trying to start something is to have, to ruthlessly curate your support system. And it, you know, ruthless is, an intense term, but it has to be an intense process because if you're around people that are like, no, 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 stay in your mold. No, no, no. You know, Michelle, like, did you really need to say that? Or Michelle, like maybe be a little bit less or a little bit smaller. And it's really easy. Like we're programmed to be that way, especially as women, um, that can be limiting in your progress to break the mold. And if I look at, you know, the people that I surrounded myself with happenstance when I was younger, but then very much more intentionally as I got older, my breaking the mold was a reaction to them encouraging it and knowing who I was and seeing value in that and, and, you know, celebrating the expansion. Oh my goodness. This is just, it's so fascinating, Caitlin. And I'm, I'm absolutely loving this. I'm taking it all in. I want to talk about this idea of finding your feet when you've made that step to break the mold or, you know, quote unquote, break the mold or to do something different or to go against the grain. You know, I think sometimes it can just be so scary. You know, we, we've taken that first step, but then we, don't know where to look. We don't know what to do. And we don't even know if it's going to work out. What advice do you have? Or, or how did you navigate through those early days of, you know, kind of starting the business or moving to New York or whatever that new thing was after you'd made that initial decision? Like, how did you navigate that time there and perhaps the fear that came with it? Mm, yeah. Oh God, what a good question. Yeah. It, it's so important to one, listen to your intuition and trust in the profound experience it is to have an inner knowing, right? And I think so often we're told to be overly pragmatic or overly responsible or, you know, traditional. It, like this is the path. It is linear, but that's all. That's all kind of conditioning, right? You have to do what's right for you. And in any major moment in my life when I moved to San Francisco and risked not a lot looking back. Right. But like when I was 20, I was like, I'm risking it all. Um, you know, or when I was right 27 and I moved to New York, that was a really big, big jump for me. I, you know, broke up with my then boyfriend kind of, I was at Levi Strauss, um, on the e-commerce team. And I was like, bureaucracy is just like not my game. And was just like, I know that I want to live in New York. And that's about all I knew. But that intuition was so strong and so resolute. I was, I just took a bet on myself. And I think that is so incredibly important, especially as a female creator or entrepreneur to bet on yourself again and again and again. And to know that it's not that you're going to avoid hard moments. They will come to you if you're trying to build something or do a hard thing, but to always put the chips on yourself. And that is a product of following your intuition, but also just having 
confidence that you'll find a way out in those moments that will be tough. Yeah. It's also, you know, going back to curating your support system. I met my co-founder when I moved to New York. A lot of very serendipitous things happen when I moved to New York, as usually happens when, I mean, City New York of is dreams. Like, you know, every movie about New York is that exactly, exactly. You find your people. Um, but, you know, I found my co-founder and she, I, she is definitely someone that helped like expand who I was, um, you know, finding community, finding those co-creators or those partners of dreaming are so important. Um, and they really help kind of amplify your vision in a major way, knowing that, you know, with Willow, Willow's my co-founder, my like creative better half, I say, but we're really expansive in our thinking, um, which was really exciting to me. I think building my creative vision as an individual, but then finding someone that was equally as expansive and that expanded the way that I thought too, um, was truly, truly important. So, you know, look to the people that you surround yourself with when, especially you're following, when you're following your intuition, because there's like a reason they're there. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't, Hopefully that answered like a quarter of your question. <laughs> move to totally. New York. That's the, yeah, just, that's, just move. Yeah, just move to like, New York. Honestly, cut your hair. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, do all the things. Go through the breakup, move cities, you'll be fine. Yeah. That's the best advice. No, I love it. Amazing. So I want to dive a bit deeper into the story. So, you know, you've moved, you've had this, all this like serendipitous stuff happen to you and you're like, oh my goodness, like things are happening. You know, for you during that time there, how did you, I guess, what what were the challenging moments? You know, I think people, I think a lot of our peers out there listening might be thinking, oh, well, you know, she's so lucky. You know, she just moved and then, oh my goodness, she started this awesome company and now she works with Alibaba and, you know, it's all happening. You know, what could you break down the first few steps you took with your co-founder to get your business off the ground and also the challenges you faced in those early days? Oh, for sure. So I think the easiest thing about starting Scout Lab was finding Willow. The Everything else was hard. Everything else was hard. Um, we joke and we joke you know, it's turning less and less into a joke about writing a book about our experience because there really is no manual, especially for like kids that, you know, we were both, both from Portland, Oregon, both cut our chops in tech, but really had no business starting an agency. I'd never worked in one and she had worked in one briefly, but all we knew was that we wish we could hire the type of agency that we wanted to start when we were working in tech. And I think founded on that idea of differentiation, of building something you know, a little bit different than what's in market was enough for us to be really resolute on the vision. Um, so perhaps it'll be helpful to understand like why we started Scout Lab. So I met Willow uh, just after Trump was elected in 2016 and we were in New York. She had just moved there. I just moved there. It was very like serendipitous timing, but, uh, and we were set up through a mutual friend and, you know, initially upon meeting, we just dove right into it. How, you know, the most important thing we have, the greatest currency on earth 
is stories. Even money amplifies stories. And if we look at, you know, as marketers on what happened in 2016, that is a product of compounding storytelling that you can see propagated in multinational corporations, multi-million dollar campaigns that whitewash or greenwash or, you know, all of the washings. Um, you know, it was just after Pepsi's notorious commercial with Kendall Jenner appropriating Black Lives Matter. And we're like, this is, you know, not only ridiculous, but it is now impacting our, you know, the world around us in such a severe way that as marketers, we have to do something. It, it doesn't feel good just like working for a tech company to scale anymore. Uh, for us, we were like, what can we do as marketers with a responsibility to help the world be better, to tell better stories? What can we do? And that's where, you know, the idea of Scout Lab really began. And that was so powerful for us, that idea, that origin story. It's really been the momentum, even going into year five, that fuels us every single night, every single day. So it was starting from this kind of point of view that we have a responsibility to do better and, you know, who else to do it but us? Um, you know, certainly finding a partner, a collaborator like Willow was such a stroke of luck. And we are just, you know, our relationship hasn't always been super easy. Certainly there have been very tense moments that we've worked through, but I can say like looking back on all of those hard moments, it's like, you know, created the most fruitful creative relationship I'll ever have. And, um, but you know, when you start an agency and you have never done that before, we made, we made all of the mistakes in the book. We, uh, you know, hired the right, wrong lawyers and like got crappy contracts that like ended up really screwing us a few, you know, a year later or so. Accounting was a mess. Like, I think if you want to start a service-based business, the, you know, instrumental pieces that will help structure your business model long-term are important to invest in upfront. So like for us, it was the accountant, the lawyer, we had the point of view, we could sell that point of view very easily. And honestly, after that, it was just acting like we were a real business far before we had our first paying customer. Willow actually sent me this uh, email that I sent out to like our team, which was like her and like some friends that were encouraging that were like, here is the status of sales, which was just a list of people that I had met and talked to and told I had an agency before we were formally incorporated. But truly acting out the gate as though your business is as big as you hope it to be, you know what I mean? Just like have that energy really helped us. Because you have to have that confidence when you're selling something. We're like, we are changing the world. We have already changed it. Did we have our first customer? Absolutely not. Was that important? No. But here we are four years later. It worked out. I'm laughing. Sorry, I'm laughing because it's just literally so true. And you have to. Like, I actually, it's so refreshing to hear it back because even today, I mean, we're only three years old. We're heading into our fourth year this year. And it's still the same mentality. It's still that, you know, totally. We're a global agency. 
haven't set up shop in New York yet or in London, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, it's still that mentality. And I think, you know, uh, what do they say? It's like when you visualize things, then they actually start to happen. For me, that was huge. And like, a year ago in the early days, like two years ago, you know? So yeah. I think I love how you said that. And I think that's a massive misconception that a lot of, um, you know, our peers out there might have. It's not that you need to have it all. It's just that you need to portray that you're going to do something great and that perhaps you've already done it in your mind. Totally. And like, it's true because you, like so many people, so many specifically like, dudes have just been like, I have an idea and I'm just going to walk into the room. Like I literally invented this idea regardless of it being accurate or not. And you're like, here we are like two completely competent, capable, very intelligent driven women. Like just be so confident in yourself because there's no, there's no reason why you would need to doubt yourself. Like far more people have done a lot more with a lot less. And I think that was so important for us to remember. I read this great article about how we need to stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome because it like is this kind of self-defeating cycle. It's like everyone is nervous. Everyone doubts themselves. And to obsess over imposter syndrome makes the monster more real. Starting a business is hard. Like, Mustering up the confidence to step into the leader you want to be is challenging, but don't doubt yourself. And there's no syndrome, there's no disease that you have that makes it harder to believe in yourself. It's challenging for all of us. The trick is that you just have to do it. You know, you just have to get on stage. You just have to schedule the pitch. You just have to say, I'm a global agency, even though maybe <laughs> I have one office in New York and a friend in Australia, and we're just going to make it work. Yeah. My favorite early on, I'm sure you've had this, but I love when clients are like, well, we'd love to meet the team. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I would too. I would too. Even are on you- like um, the kind of formal paperwork and they're like, yeah. great, list the team members that will be working on this project. It's like, um, hmm, well, that's one name. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. My cat's name. Well, <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm going to have a lot of interns, yeah. a lot of interns. They're all going to have director roles. But hey, like we also, that's the thing. Like you just have to remember every single agency, every single business started with like one person just making it up, right? Hoping they'll be successful. And um, yeah, it makes you feel less kind of bad about it. You're like, you know what? I I always say, you know, you're an agency as well, but I'm like, you can either be a big agency's smallest client or a small agency's biggest client. That's really your decision. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we share a client. Yeah, totally. Good old Alibaba. Oh, good old Alibaba. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about now this idea of what you just mentioned, the imposter syndrome, the doubt. You know, was there any point in this journey for you where you just thought, oh my goodness, I actually, as much as I'm trying to be confident, as much as I'm, I'm trying to put the good vibes out there, like I actually just don't even know if I can handle this and, and actually do this. And then how did you navigate your way through that time? Oof, we've had so many treacherous moments in our business and you know, I won't even lie about that. It's, uh, you get to a point where, you know, we have some of the world's biggest brands, big, coolest brands on our portfolio, but I don't think we talk enough about how, like, you know, 
Willow and I have had to float the business by the hair of our chinny chin chins more than once. And when you're a service-based business, right, big companies profit off of not paying you these insane payment terms, et cetera, or, you know, we've had it where clients don't pay us. Like every classic service-based business issue we've run into, I think the goal is just again to like double down on yourself. Um, we've, uh, we've really gotten through though, believing that we can do it. I think my, you know, I don't know what it's like to start a business without a co-founder. And like I said, Willow and Mai's relationship has had various evolutions, but we've always believed in each other and we've always believed in our shared vision. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, entrepreneurial porn out there, how to find a co-founder, how to you know, be the most productive version of yourself, et cetera. That'll tell you a lot of really smart things. You know, in the co-founder camp, it's, you know, find someone who has like complementary skill sets, but does something that you don't like to do, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, I think functionally that, you know, can be important depending on what type of business you have. But truthfully, I could never imagine co-founding a company if I didn't have one, the same exact type of work ethic. Um, that's something Willow and I've always shared it, where it's like we take breaks when we need to, but we work our butts off. Um, and then two, we share a very, very similar, if not the exact same value system. And she kind of was raised in a very similar way that I was in that we like were raised by matriarchs, by moms who like really made it work. Um, you know, despite all odds, right? My mom started her company when uh, she was getting divorced from my dad, like, which is funny, kind of the best things in your life sometimes come as a product of the worst things in your life. Um, but I will say, yeah, it, the creative partnership, if you can back to the ruthless curation of your support system, whether that's a co-founder, whether that's your team, whether that's the friends around you, your, you know, peer mentors that, that will always get you through those really challenging moments. Um, yeah. And I'll say it doesn't get easier necessarily, right? You just get new problems. Like right now our business is rather stable, um, which is such an achievement being a service-based business. It's like, I have runway like for months. Like what is this luxury? I can plan into the future. Um, but for me, it's more like, how do I become the best leader? Right. I had to be the best doer for my entire career. And now people rely on me to give them direction and to give them motivation and to give them, you know, kind of purpose in their day to day. And that's something I'm so excited to step into, you know, and, and really, really work on. But, um, you know, being a leader is just like being committed to growth and change. So that's my, my new journey. It's, it never stops. You just evolve, you know, you just evolve. You really do. I love that. I want to understand a bit more about how we find those key people. You know, you keep talking about this support system, this support network, and I, I actually couldn't agree more. But how do we find them if it doesn't just, you know, happen for us in a serendipitous way? How how can we seek out those right mentors or peer mentors or people in our lives, really, and in our business life that can be there for us, support us, and perhaps even work with us? Mm, yeah, that is such an important kind of process for every person to identify. 
I will say uh, a guiding light that I got as advice many, many years ago was pay attention to the things you pay attention to. And I would even adjust that to pay attention to who you pay attention to. So it's like this relationship. I saw you through a friend's profile and I was like, this is really smart. She's doing something really cool. And I really admire, you know, anyone in the service-based business, but like a woman doing the damn thing. And so I reached out and like, you could have easily not responded, but you did. And I think that's just a product of, again, paying attention to the things that I pay attention to. Um, you know, when I look at who I call again and again, it's also very intentional relationships that not, that aren't necessarily a part of one shared experience. So I think sometimes we can make the mistake of being in a group of people by default because they're our click or that's like who we go to the parties with or that's like who we're just associated with. You know, we get tagged in the Facebook pictures together, but I think we can, you know, I've certainly gotten into that, um, familiarity that breeds a little bit of complacency in our relationships. And I think it's way better long term to be very intentional about who and why you spend time with. So, you know, I look back on my closest friendships and none of them necessarily are even from the same friend group because they serve me in different ways. Um, and vice versa, I serve them in different ways. So I, w- I would just say like, diversify your network and build really meaningful, intentional relationships with people, not groups. And don't be afraid to like reach out to cool people and say like, you're cool and I'm cool. And like, let's do cool stuff together because that's like how anyone does business anymore, right? You guys can't see us, but I'm furiously nodding my head because everything you're saying is just like exactly how I feel. Um, And I love that. And I love that you reach out because I'm often always the one reaching out to people and, you know, always kind of making that initial connection. But it's so refreshing when you have a a like-minded person kind of reach back out to you and you're like, oh, great. You know, we could do something here. I love, I love that. Yeah. Sometimes you got to be the magic. Sometimes you got to make the magic, right? I mean, (laughs) both. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I love that. Oh my goodness. Caitlin, we could talk for days, but I am conscious and mindful of your time. I've got a couple final questions for you. I think the first one is, what has been your greatest failure to date and how have you kind of learned to come back from that? And how do you view failure? Oh my God. Like with the zingers, like I thought we were like, these are going to be the easy ones now. My greatest failure. Here's the thing though about failure. I mean, I could listen. I've lost friends. I've lost lovers. I've lost clients. Like, you know, anyone who has an experience like deep loss in some way isn't worth like a conversation, right? It's like we've, we're all, we've all just gone through it. So I don't know. I've, I've experienced, you know, failure like a lot of people across a lot of different matrices. Um, you know, my business is the most important thing in my life because it represents my life's work and it represents people I value in my life kind of the most, right? Uh, People that, whether it's, you know, those coaching us on or those within the business, but we have sometimes struggled to invite the right clients in, right? I think for us, we really turned a corner when we realized that, right, we were being hired, but we were also 
consensual in that agreement. We had a part in it. So Willow and I, when we started getting good at saying no, I think our business really transformed for the better. But I think, you know, some failures I can look back on is like inviting not values aligned energy into our business early on. And I'm so grateful for those lessons though, because it made the team that we have now so much more founded in our vision. It makes us so much more clear about who we're willing to work with. We think of like hiring our clients, not the other way around. And you know, failure is just a process of stepping into your power. And it's so normal, right? Especially when you start your first business, you feel like every failure is a product of your, you know, inexperience or lack of. And it's just, it's just not like maybe, maybe yes, but it's such a shared experience, right? You're not the only one. Like everyone struggles from the most successful to people that couldn't cut it. Like we've, all have something in common. So, you know, getting out of my own way there and then being very intentional about like who I work with and why was such a great learning from, from failure. Um, I also think of failure, like, you know, I was listening to Adam Grant on Debbie Millman's podcast and he said, some feedback isn't evaluation. Some feedback is just taste and you're not going to be everyone's flavor and that's okay. Um, I think as a business person, you have to be really good at, again, like following your intuition, but making hard decisions or brushing things off when they don't work out and just like finding another way. So yeah, looking at failure as an opportunity, I think is really important for any creator or business person. I love it. Amazing. Caitlin, look, over the last few years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've from all the way from, you know, finding your co-founder in New York through to, uh, you know, now you've got a solid team of people that you genuinely resonate with. And, you know, as we talked about, I think you mentioned to this, this to me in your initial email that it's like a 0.01% of agency owners are female or something crazy ridiculous. And you're one of them. And, and for, and I think for that, it's something that we can really appreciate, especially as young women, especially of those of us who are passionate, who are ambitious and want to actually do something a bit different. And so I want to take a moment to acknowledge you and say, thank you for the amazing work that you do and for showing us that we actually can go out there, pursue our dreams, pursue our passions, regardless of what the circumstances is. Likewise. I mean, you're it too. You're part of that less than 1% of female agency owners. So hell yeah. Thank you for creating this space to tell really amazing stories. Like this is the most important work. Oh, I love it. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? You know, I've listened to a couple of these episodes now and they, they're all extraordinary answers, but the value of, you know, pursuing, you know, it sets you on fire is like, are you going to live or are you not going to live? It's like, what is the value of your life? And that's what you're deciding on. If something sets you on fire, then listen, we're like on a rock going 600 miles per hour around a blazing ball of fire. Like nothing makes sense. We live in a unfathomably large, you know, universe, like, and we get this absurdly small time to be alive. <laughs> so just go for it because nothing makes sense. And in that 
the kind of point of view, everything is important and nothing is important. Um, I don't know, we're getting too existential here, but what I'm trying to say is like, live your life to the fullest because what else are you going to do? You know? Oh, I love it. Caitlin, thank you so much. Oh my goodness. We have had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and Scout Lab? Uh, well, you can visit our website, scoutlab.com, or find us on Instagram at scoutlabco. Um, and we post a bunch of cool stuff on there all the time. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. Oh, you're the best. Loved this. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.